I don't think we'll ever agree on what you might call meta consensus, like what the blockchain should contain. I think people will probably continue to disagree about that forever. And I think the sidechain is kind of a sort of an escape valve. Hello, hello, how are you all doing? Welcome back to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, here with my boy, Danny Niles. And today, I've got an interview with Paul Stork. We're going to be getting into drive chains. Obviously, I don't have a scooby about drive chains, uh, other than the fact that it's been a bit controversial when discussed on Twitter. But Paul's been asking to come on the show for a while to discuss it. And a few other people have reached out to me and they said, come on, get him on. So I agreed to get Paul on. He came in and saw us. I asked him to break it down like I was five, but actually that wasn't good enough. So I got him to break it down like I was two. So yes, this one's going to get a little bit technical, but I think we managed to figure it out. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. If you've got any questions about this show, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I will get back to you eventually. But before we do jump into the show, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor. I'm a customer of Compass 2, and I am back mining Bitcoin. And I've been mining for nearly a year now, and I've mined over 0.75 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. Now, anyone can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass have launched the Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is based on a number of factors such as price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you're interested in mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Next up, we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm still only buying, right? We're hodlers. The market's looking good. We're not sellers. And I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Cake Wallet. Now, Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both my security and privacy because it doesn't share my important information with unnecessary third parties. With Cake Wallet, not only can I hodl Bitcoin, but I can easily pay privately with Monero. Cake Wallet is accelerating Bitcoin adoption, since they now support buying gift cards instantly with Bitcoin, which can be used at over 150,000 merchants in the US. You can easily purchase the exact amount you need at the register and have the gift card appear instantly within Cake Wallet without needing to wait for any confirmations. And you also get to save an average 2% on purchases. And Cake Pay only requires an email, nothing else. To check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Google or Apple app stores. Also today, we have BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, and now they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. 
Now, listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. If you are looking for a banking provider that understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Paul, hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. The show we've threatened to make for a while. Or oh, yeah, I know. It's like a Cold War. It's coming to an end. A little bit of pressure. <laughs> a little bit of... A little bit of conversation online, and then uh, finally we did it. So we're going to do this. We're going to cover this. The controversial Paul. <laughs> and Paul's controversial well, you ideas. Know, I try not to say anyone can just repeat the ideas that are out there. You know what I mean? If I'm going to write a blog post or something, I want it to be something new. And I usually I try to write about something where I disagree with everyone else. So that's inevitable. And then, of course, people never read the post. They just see like a tweet with the title, and then they just say, that's wrong because of such and such. But if they would read the article, they would see I already replied to such and such. I say a lot of people think such and such, but that's not right. So, Paul, why are you so controversial? I don't know. I mean, I think I think I just said that. Like, I I try to only say things when I think that that are useful. And I think a useful thing is if you notice something false that everyone believes is true, or vice versa, you would want to say that. Uh, you wouldn't just want to repeat what other people would say. That's not always necessarily true in Bitcoin, though. Sometimes it's quite difficult to step out from what a lot of people say. It well, it's very difficult for sure, but I think it's uh, it's there's a difference between. I mean, the different the 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 right thing to do is usually is not always the easy thing to do. If it's easy to do and right to do, then there's no problem, right? All right, Paul. Well, listen, I know who you are, but there's going to be some people listening who don't know who you are. Do you want to give a bit of a background? Well, I mean, I hate introductions. On it. I think it's like I'll just say. My thing, and then at the end of the interview, people can decide if they want to. You can go. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Truthcoin. It's so controversial. Uh, Truthcoin.info is my blog, and you can find all kinds. Of, I have a project, BitcoinHiveMind.com. I have all these projects that link to each other. So if everyone so, does an intro, you're not doing an intro. <laughs> I just think I think intros are really boring. You know, it's like I always think like I'll. I already cl- decided to click play, right? So I always skip like way into. Any YouTube video or any podcast, skip way into it because I'm like, I don't want to hear the intro. I just want to hear what I'm here to hear for. But now I'm I'm doing the worst thing, which is just wasting everyone's time, not even giving them an intro. Well, so well, now I'm going to put intros in the middle just to fuck with you. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll just re- yeah, you can edit it and rearrange. He can edit everyone at home. Peter McCormack can just edit and rearrange the interview. I have no idea what order it's going to be in or anything. So well, we're here to entertain as well as educate. Yeah. All right, Paul, tell me about drive chains. I know, I can't remember if you or someone else tried to explain them to me before, but we know I'm not the most technically competent. Yes, I've heard that, uh, I've heard you say that before. You explain it like I'm two. Often, um, well, yeah, like people say that and I say like, where are your parents or something? But but, uh, (laughs) I mean, drive chain is this idea for an SPV proof that I came up with in November 2015. What's an SPV proof? An SPV proof is something that proves the the work, the proof of work, but not the validity of blocks. See, I have no and idea what you're talking the about. Already. SPV proof is the foundation of the sidechain idea. So okay. the sidechain is we we aren't going to look at we're not going to look at the validity. So we don't we have like a Zcash sidechain or whatever. We have like a bit Zcash. 
So we're going to copy all the technology from Zcash. And, but Bitcoin is not going to go through the effort of doing whatever wacky technology they're doing over there. We're just going to say, we're only going to look at, did you mine a bunch of blocks in the Zcash sidechain, so to speak? Okay. So we're going to have to go step by step on this. My limited understanding of sidechains is with what I know about Liquid. Yeah. Right? Right. This and, is unfortunate because that I, they have like decided to take this word in a different direction. So to me, a sidechain, we have, we have the Bitcoin blockchain, and then we have this other blockchain. Sure. And I can peg into my Bitcoin in, and I'm given Liquid Bitcoin, and I can peg out. And then in this separate sidechain, I can do a bunch of other shit. And the way I understand it, it's almost like a another little block I can go and play in and do stuff. Yes. It just it's almost like I've got two rooms. One room's Bitcoin and one room's liquid. And I've decided to pay some Bitcoin to go in the liquid room and I play with liquid and I can get my Bitcoin back and come right. out. Right. So, so is, the trick is how does the coins come out? So you see it's easy to go in. So like uh here in New York City, they have the subway, they have the one way uh spinning thing. I don't know if you've uh, been on the subway. Yeah, we have <laughs> but, the circle line in London. Yeah. And so there's that, it's easy to get, it's it's kind of like layer one Bitcoin is you're trapped on the subway forever. And it's easy to get out to go in uh, to the layer two. You go up to the street layer, but you, what, you walk out the little turnstile thing, but you can't easily get back in. You have to pay and use the little kiosk. Right, you've got to give me some like Real example. What does that mean with liquid? It's hard to get it. I can't just peg out? Well, in liquid, when, the, when, it, when you peg out, there's a multisig output and a bunch of people sign. Those people sign. So on layer one, the only thing that the Bitcoin network sees is a multisig output. So you could make your own competitor to liquid you know, 10 minutes from now by just making 15 keys and creating a multisig address and then telling everyone that this is whatever. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Yep. What I'm saying is I know Liquid exists. I know I can peg into it. I know I can get Liquid Bitcoin. I can move that around with a little more privacy, a little bit faster. I know how that works, and I know I can peg out. What I, I'm, I'm still not understanding what your criticism is. Well, um, the, it's, the, it's all about the way... When you peg in and peg out, it's what you're sending it to in, on layer one. That's what's actually happening. Uh-huh. So there's cosmetic with liquid. This is just like a multi-sig wallet. I mean, I'm not, I guess I'm not really sure that you actually do know what liquid is and what's happening when you when you peg in and peg out. It's I'm just ton- like, I won't know yeah. technically, but I but I'm a standard user of of what yeah. of what most of my listeners will be. Most people listen yeah. to this. They don't know how multi-sig really works. They don't understand the you know the engine behind Bitcoin. Most of them buy Bitcoin. And they send it to an address, and they keep it there. And then sometimes they send it to another address. And some of them maybe go and create a Lightning wallet, and they send some Bitcoin to have some sats. And some of them may even create a multi-sig wallet with something like Casa. And some of them, really advanced, will run a node. But most people don't understand what's going on. They're just sending stuff to addresses. So why does, why does this matter to them? Well, okay, one reason is if the... 15 keys are, are compromised, 11 of them in this case, that person will just take all the money out. So it would be like a Celsius-style catastrophe. So your criticism is really the risk around the Federation? 
Uh, well, this is the main difference between what I did, which is now BIP 300, and the, the Federation is a group of people who are the custodians of the money, and you hope that they choose to give you your money back, and maybe you have really good reasons to believe that they will give you your money back, but in BIP 300, there's just a, a transparent process that only involves the miners. Anyone can become a miner or leave the group of miners at any time. As you know, there's no like fixed list of... Miners, or can, if, the, all of the, if all of today's miners were killed by an asteroid or something, then there would be new miners without anyone having to update anything. Or, but that's not true. If the liquid uh, functionaries all die or they all get whatever, something happens to them, then the money, they, it won't be possible to get the money back. Although in Liquid's case, there is a, a secondary multi-sig fail-safe, but there's, that's a whole other story because at one point they realized that they had done it wrong and they had, there were four block stream keys that could be used not in an emergency, so this is like a complicated other detail. Okay, but with the, liquid that probably won't people won't be interested in. In terms of my experience of moving, say, into your drive chain, does it have a name like liquid? No. Well, th this is a process for creating the the drive. Three hundred means there's there could be two hundred fifty six slots, and each could be its own side chain, and then you could do it again and get 256 more, or you could have side chains of side chains. Okay. So this is a process for adding and removing decentralized side chains that have no fixed list of owners. Okay, I get it. So this is, okay, you're proposing a way for uh, side chains to be created, not yeah. the creation of the side chain itself. Yeah, when you create liquid, you need to, you need to pick the 15 people, or the yeah. 15 keys. But with this, you would not. Okay, but with this, if you created a sidechain using BIP300, does somebody still peg in and have a different asset and still peg out? And get yeah, the product? user uh, sends the coins in to like a little box, basically, and the sidechain software recognizes that as a deposit. Okay. Over there, the sidechain software is like an altcoin, except without the coin. Um, you can do whatever you want over there. So you could do Zcash, Ethereum, whatever. We'll come now, back to that, but yeah. uh, when I go in, am I given like something that is identical, like identical in replication? Like a liquid Bitcoin is basically a Bitcoin. Yes, that's the idea. I mean, of course, the freedom with this, you have the freedom to do any idea you like, uh, good or bad. So someone could have a sidechain that was a terrible design and where it ate the coins and refused to tell you where they were or give them back. Okay. So, but of course, no one would do that in practice, except as a mistake. So, where, whereas with Bitcoin and Liquid, we have these two rooms I can go between, you're just creating a process that anyone can come and build a room that yes, attaches can, to it. It's like an elevator. I can conjure a new floor or something. Yeah. yeah, and one could be a very nice safe room and one could murder you. Yeah, one okay. could just, you open the door and you just fall out, out fall of the down. building. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'm going to come back to that. So, your sidechain doesn't have a 15-person multi-sig. So what Correct. does it have instead? instead? And yes, you've got to imagine, I am the dumbest fucker you will meet. <laughs> so just take me slowly, step well, by step. okay. Uh, the uh, metaphor is that you put the coins into like a little box. Yeah. So there's, we, we have 300, there's 256 slots, so each would be its own box. But like, we're just talking one side chain at a time. You put the Why 256? Well, because that's a, a byte can count up to that. And okay. that you have to refer to, you need some way of referring to each side chain so it would be more overhead. There's really, in practice, there's no limit because you could have side chains of side chains or you could do the thing again. I just don't think that they'll be anywhere near 
I, I could be totally wrong about this, but I just don't see how many like viable blockchain designs do you see? You know, like you get like Bitcoin, like Monero, you get like ten but, other things. But if uh, if you if Bit three hundred was merged into Bitcoin. Yes. What stops one person quickly going to take an over two hundred fifty six? Well, there is a, it is the process of claiming the slot takes a little bit of of time. So there's like a bib nine style two week activation thing to take the slot, and you can also very slowly overwrite the slot. So the bib three hundred has all these rules to manage that kind of thing. But but okay, so but say I go and claim all two hundred fifty six slots uh, straight away and. Wait my two weeks. Do I suddenly have all the slots and there's none left for anyone else? Well, the the miners have to like like I said, there's like a minor ACK thing, like acknowledgement thing. So you need like ninety percent miners to thumbs up your thing. So oh, okay. That's the the process involves more is more minor involved. Okay, in okay. So each so each block they get to like do affect the the outcome in a very small way. That's basically the design. So are you essentially pitching your side chain to the miners? You're saying, this yes. is my side chain? Yes. And is it a bit like, you know, when a, a soft fork happens? Yes. And you get miner signaling? That was, because this idea is from long ago in 2015, before any of this was even controversial. This used to just be the way everything was done. That's obviously speaking a little too broadly, but this never used to be like a big uh, who, who controls Bitcoin controversy. That's all just uh, fallout from the block size war, Segwit 2x. So this used to be a very uncontroversial and kind of normal thing. Well, we'll come back to that. Yeah. But I'm interested in this. So you release, the code is released, bit 300 is activated. Now, the pitch to the miners, to be clear, is like, you. this will either like improve the price of Bitcoin and or improve the total transaction fees collected. So there's a rational reason to expect that miners would be they would at least have some interest in making sure that they they give the right decision. How does it get pitched to them, though? Is it like a BIP? Uh, I think there's no... Uh, well, these are like... Uh, these details are... Uh, I have plans for... The, I actually invented something else called Coin News, which is a completely different cosmetic thing for displaying op return data in Bitcoin, which is a, it's a very interesting idea. And it doesn't involve any hard or soft fork or any kind of code changes to the consensus of Bitcoin at all. And it's just a cosmetic thing where when you open the full node, it shows you like who paid the op returns um, with that it sorts them by like fee rate. And you can also have them like sorted by other kind of tags and stuff that you can put in. So you can have like all the English language ones in one column and all the Japanese ones in like a different column or something. So I had this other thing that's uh, that I just did for fun and is in the software that I run, and I would think they could do that. They could do that, but they, even if you didn't have something like that in the software, someone could just make a very conspicuous transaction that stands out by paying a, a larger fee, and basically do that kind of idea, in a kind of like a you know with duct tape and uh, yeah. But know. like when a when a when a bip is activated, when there's a soft fork is activated, it's a whole thing. Like. Everybody knows what it's about. Yes. You get to read the But don't you think this is part of the problem, though? Well, I'll come, I'll come back to that. Because okay. you, the thing you just... We're coming back to a lot of things. Well, Luckily, you've got a pen there. Yeah, well, like, the, so the last thing you explained, I think you explained it like you think I have any idea what you're talking about, and I don't. And this I don't, coin I, news thing? It was, oh, no, no. It, you know what op returns, though. I have no idea what op return is. Well, people put Do messages. Uh, it's the message that the miners put in the block when they... No, that's a Coinbase. But uh, okay. but op return, anyone can make a transaction. They can put like this. This is used by lots of different people, and you can put what it is. Is it's a part of the transaction 
that you can just prune out, you can just cut. So it's it's something that will never be spent, so they put what's called a zero value output. Okay. So basically what it is is like a memo field on a check or something. But what what I'm trying to get to so is... People write stuff like Bible verses and wedding uh, wedding vows, and people put like funny little things. Oh, I've, see, I've seen things yes. like when certain blocks of mine, they put messages in. Yes, well. yeah. that's what I mean. Okay, but what I'm saying is, is I just want to go back. If... Uh, if a soft fork is soft fork is activated prior to that, the miners know full well what is contained within the software, what it brings to Bitcoin, right? And you start. Well, to, I, that's the idea. Do you think that's me. really true, though? Because you just told me like I don't know anything about upper turn, blah blah well, blah, and a, a big Bitcoin podcaster. My well, yeah, but I'm I'm not a technical Bitcoin sure. podcaster. We have Stefan Levera for that. My show is to help people <laughs> like me. Like morons who don't sure. know shit about this technical stuff. Well, I mean, I one thing I would recommend people do. I think this is fascinating. You go to Scaling Bitcoin to Hong Kong. This 2015, they had this minor panel, and they had something like someone even said out loud, like, "We have 92 percent of the hash rate on, represented on stage," or something, which was kind of like itself, like a kind of a weird thing to say. But they they goes through, and it's clear that those people have no real idea what the block size debate is actually about. And in fact, most of them said something like, at one point, someone on the panel said something like, could someone please just tell us what to do or something? Because they were they were more, much more like you, I think, where they're just, Maybe they're so. just trying to find cheap power and they don't know. But but they, ha- they still have to on. make a decision. Of course. The more important thing is that they have accountability in the point in the, of the increased Bitcoin price and the greater transaction fees. They have the skin in the game yeah. to know. So they have some basis for some basis for um, making having an incentive to make the right decision. But I'm sure they talk to people and people help them understand, yeah, this is a good thing. It should, but but w- when we get to a uh, what you're talking about, again, what are they activating and do they even know what they're activating? Well, I think, that, again, this is like the paradigm shift, which is that people feel very responsible for all the Bitcoin code. This is why the sidechain idea is like a complete night and day change from this way of thinking. But right now, as you know, everyone worries about every single line of code, every single change. But with this, since these are all, these are all optional zones, the sidechains are all optional zones that your full node is going to ignore. It will only check the... So if you let me finish my box thing, yeah. the box has like a kind of like a post-it note on it that has like the number zero. And you can only take money out of the box if someone has a post-it note that has... 13,150 on it. And you can only, every day, there's little rules about this post-it note moving up and down. But basically, that's the whole idea in a, in a little nutshell. But even though that's the proving the work, the SPV proof, but it's not going to know anything about what the sidechain is doing. So that, that is intentional uh, because you don't, that's what makes you able to ignore the sidechain. So that's the, that's the whole point, is that you wouldn't need to worry about what it is. Okay, where where does the side chain exist? It's in some ways it's easy to think about a side chain as an altcoin. So it's like where does you know Ethereum exist or something? You run a different piece of software. It has its own blocks. It has its own blockchain. It has its own folder on your computer. Okay, right? Yeah. This is the same thing basically, except that in a couple differences. But one is that. The, the way this is designed, this is a fully asymmetric sidechain. There used to be a distinction. Now there is no, all these sidechain words have become unhelpful, unfortunately. But in this particular case, that, so, like our, we have test software, so we have test sidechains. 
that software won't even run or do anything until it can connect to a layer one Bitcoin node. So it's a lot like a lightning node in that way. It's like a full layer two. So it's like a fully subordinate piece of software. Okay, let's say one of these side chains is set up and created. Yes. My node doesn't download any of the blocks. Uh, your Bitcoin layer one full node does not. Does it, but Right. It will not see anything except the box and the post-it note. And these boxes are UTXOs. They already exist. Okay. Already have box world. But if I want to use that side chain, how do yes. I start using it? Well, it's the same as... Um, it's again, it's the same as like the case with an altcoin. It's the easiest way for people to think about it if they don't know, um, if they're very confused or something. But I mean, the, you could have a wallet and use it without a node or only with an SPV node. Or if you wanted the full node, the sidechain full node, you would download that software and you would just run it. So it'd have a separate node? Yes. Okay. So why does it? Why is it uh, a sidechain to Bitcoin? Is it so it, has the, it gains the security of Bitcoin? Well, of course, the goal of sidechains back in the day before, this is unfortunate because my point of view is not really relatable to regular people anymore because most people only know. I was back, back in October 2014 when Bloxham originally published this paper and debuted. It was very clear to everyone that this, the sidechain idea was to simulate altcoins. So it was to make them obsolete, basically. You had, at the time, Ethereum was getting started. There was other stuff, BitShares or whatever, that was... It was all terrible at the, at the time, but people thought, um, what are we going to do? Like, why, why should there be a basis for comparison at all? Say, with Bitcoin, you can do X. But with, hey, with people would say, with my wacky new project, you can do Y, this new thing, you know, or Z, or whatever you want to call it. You don't have to wait for Bitcoin to, to merge the thing in. Yeah. And of course, the, then it, with the block size debate, it became apparent that it, would, it may be an even deeper problem than that because you may have irreconcilable differences between people. You cannot have the blocks be both small and large at the same time. So someone has to leave empty-handed. And so then it, that was like really spurring it on at first, and then Blockstream went in the liquid direction, and they kind of torched, I think, the whole concept, which I think is a big, huge setback for Bitcoin. They, did, they wrote a paper in um, October 2014 called sidechains, colon, something. And anyone can look it up. And it was, it was written by people who not... Blockstream Plus, basically. Some other people were on the list. And then in November 2015, I have my SPV proof, which was different than theirs. They have this Appendix B skip list thing that they never actually did. They only stuck with the multisig, which they insisted, for years, they insisted was only like a temporary Band-Aid and they would switch to their thing. Uh, they, they abandoned their Appendix B thing. My version is supposed to literally be like minimalist, and I changed something else. I proved the work uh, via the main chain, not via the side chain, because I worked out that it made really no difference, and so as much as actually there's no costs and enormous benefits to doing it that way. So, But they had like coined the word, it's kind of unfortunate that they did because they coined the sidechain word and then they ran away with the definition. And so um, I, I, if I could do it over, one of the things I would do is I'd probably just, I would never have used the word sidechain to describe what I was doing at all. And maybe I should still stop doing it and I should just use the drive chain word. And I should say this is a totally different thing. But sidechain, kind, you can kind of understand what it is from the, the nature of the word. 
Well, I would hope, but, but a drive now chain. people think that. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people don't know. Like, I, what I was thinking of, I had an image when I in the November 2015 post at the beginning with like Bitcoin is like an engine, and then like a big a big chain going around and all these other gears, like a Leonardo da Vinci kind of a thing. The gears would be like Litecoin, would be like Ethereum. So, so, like that. so, give me an example of a side chain that someone would build. That might be more helpful to yeah, understand. Yeah, the Zcash side chain we the already Zcash. have is okay. a very good example. We copied. They did all this work to get the Zcash 5.0. Uh huh. The privacy benefits are very clear. Yeah. It's this unbreakable, confusing uh, Z address thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now we we have a version of that that we copied. We just copy their version 5.0 you into copy our that. template. Okay. So then you send, if you download our test software, you can mine fake coins, you know, because it's testnet, it's not real. You can mine fake coins on what would be regular Bitcoin. You send them over to the Zcash sidechain, they show up over there, and then over there you can use them with the Z addresses. Right. And that's the benefit, and then you can take them back. Let's go one step at a time. You guys have created this, but it's not currently... It's not live with Bitcoin, with Bitcoin like BTC. Because we have a we have a fake we have software for testing that anyone can use that just generate coins. It's funny. There's nothing in principle different between what we did and what some altcoin that could exist or something. But it's for testing purposes only. S some of this stuff's hard for people yeah, to follow. So we have we, ha so. we have to go through <laughs> we have to go through slowly. I okay, know it might sure. be difficult. It might be painful for you. But so you've created a. But if you created that in a Bitcoin test net. As a side chain to Bitcoin, an entire test net. The whole thing we did is our own test playground, you know. So we can just reset it whenever we want. Or so, but that doesn't answer, doesn't answer my question. My yes. question is: Is Bip three hundred doesn't exist within Bitcoin? Right. Okay. You want it to exist? So well, so I don't understand at all why people aren't, uh, you know, foaming or chomping at the bit or whatever. I know, but we that's just, again another separate question. Sure. Yeah. My question to you is, and I'm going slowly, I'm I'm gonna be specific about this just so people understand. If we jump around, no one will get it. And so how you understand Bitcoin, I understand how to structure questions in a way so okay. people understand yeah, sure. it. So currently Biv three hundred doesn't exist within Bitcoin. You wish it did. Yes. 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 You've created a testnet environment where you have activated Bit three hundred yes. in a testnet. And so you've created that Zcash sidechain. Yes, those are separate things, though. Okay. Well, how do you Bip mean? 300 activates on the main net. Yeah. On what would be Bitcoin Core. Yes. If it were on real Bitcoin. But you've activated the code in a testnet environment to see it right. works. That's Bip 300. Yeah. The sidechain is a separate, completely separate piece of software. Like a lightning node, that would be like... But, but the, the Bip 300 in the testnet allows you to move between the two. Yes. Yeah, okay, great. Exactly. So I, I understand that. And so have you done this almost to prove to people, look how cool this is, we've now got Zcash on Bitcoin. Well, I agree with you completely that uh, the example is a much better way of explaining it. I think most people will not are not interested in even how it works. They just want to know what is this for. Like It's like a, my friend used an analogy in Xbox. You build the Xbox with no games. And so... That was like we have to. Have, you have to have a game. So if I wanted to use this, I've got Bitcoin Core running. Say I want to use this sidechain. What else do I have to download? Well, yeah, we have a different. Uh, the Zcash software has its own node. So what I have to have. It, so I'll be running two nodes at that point. Well, as you know, you don't necessarily need to run any. No, many people just use uh, a wallet that may be an SPV node only, or 
Some people just use Coinbase or something. So it's, it's debatable whether or not those people are real users. Well, say is I'll, that like too nuanced? You know what I mean? Like, because you can use Bitcoin without running a full node. Yeah, of course. You know. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is how you use it is kind of your business, but this other node software must exist for the net for the network to produce blocks. There must be other people yeah. doing nodes. Okay, yeah, but like we have with Bitcoin, some people run nodes, some exactly. people don't. But say I wanted Danny wanted some uh, Zcash on uh, on um, from me and uh, from yes. this, this from your side chain. Okay, one more other question. Is this a separate Zcash from the other Zcash yes, blockchain? That's okay. an important other thing too. So it should probably be given a different name. Yeah, I used to why well, we call it Z side as a joke. Sometimes yeah. they have like funny names. Z Bitcoin, Bitcoin well, Z. I, in the when I did the presentation at the Bitcoin 2021, I did an example with I usually get just put bit in front of them because Gavin Andreessen did this a million years ago. And so I was like bit Monero. So we'd have like Bitcoin and then we'd have like bit Monero would be like the Monero sidechain. Yeah, because I think there's something. Yeah, I agree. The name. I think the names are a a big problem. Someone needs to come through with my project and rename everything. You're in my world now, branding and marketing. (laughs) I can help you with this bit. I I would. I would have a completely separate name because otherwise I'll be like, "Am I Zcash here? The same my Zcash here? Okay, they're not." Yeah, so we call it Zside. And in fact, we label the the tickers different too to keep to keep people from being confused. So like Bitcoin does Liquid does LBTC. We just call them BTC on the mainnet, and then we just call them like SC1, SC2, SC3. So yeah. like sidechain number three is SC3. You need a brand in a marketing so, yeah. person. <laughs> you. I, would, I would have called it something completely different. But anyway, okay, so I can run the node, but I don't have to. Right, but I mean, you know, as you know, uh, I don't know. It depends on the direction when I take this conversation, but yeah. So if I'm running, I'm running the node, and I've got my Bitcoin node running... The BIP 300 is how they talk to each other? Yes. Okay. So say I want some Z, bit Zs, yeah, bit Z cash. Sure. How do I get those? Yeah, well, you, uh, do you have, are you getting them from someone else on the network or are you getting them from layer one? Are you pegging in with your Bitcoin to get? Well, someone, when, when it turns on for the first time, it starts with zero coins. Mm-hmm. So okay. there's no coins there. So someone has to send the coins and we have just we have a little GUI for that. And so you have a rule, and your rule your rule could be what one to one. I didn't even plan on doing it like this, but I actually have screenshots. On but your rule, your rule could be one to one or ten to one. Uh, well, uh, it should be one to one. It could be something else, but it would be just be confusing. You know what I mean? Because it would be if it's ten to one going in, and then it would have to be one to ten coming back, and that would just be annoying for people. I would think the whole point is to make it easier for the whole point of this over the altcoin is to remove the the forex. Risk so and also would, the risk of the project just collapsing. And so crazy. there would be a maximum twenty-one million. million yes. Yeah, there's twenty-one million shared by all the different pieces of software. Okay, great. So I get it. So I can peg in and I can get some of these bit Z's. I'm going to call them bit Z's, and then I can send that to Danny. But if Danny already has some, he can send them to me. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, I need a wallet, and in my wallet, I would have Bitcoin. I can have Bitcoin and also have these bit Z's next to it. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So that's that's that, kind. Is uh, so when you download the Zcash node software, obviously it comes with a wallet. Yeah. But you could also have something like I don't know whatever, whatever wallet you want to name. Like most of the, most of the wallets these days are multi cryptocurrency wallets. They have Bitcoin and Alt, and they could just have this also. But say I was using I don't know. Let's give an example of a wallet. Say I was using Ledger. Would Ledger have to write in support for this? If they had, yeah. Uh, to be a wallet for this, it would, yeah. And does it have a different set of addresses? 
Well, of course, the Z, the it does because the most notably the Zcash system has the Z addresses, the private Z addresses. So, really, what what you've created, it sounds like to me, is a bridge between yes. Bitcoin and some other stuff. And then this one, it's Zcash, but it could be Monero. It's just a bridge, precisely. And that bridge. So, when that bridge is a way of creating the new coins. Yeah, you can you can take your coins and escape to a different piece of software. Okay, what gives? What what does the Bitcoin blockchain know? It just knows this transaction out. Yeah, I have a, in a, the talk I gave at TabConf. I do literally like an exact like slide of that, and I say this is everything that's happening, and this is all that your full node sees. But the, the your full node only sees the little Post-it note on the box, and the post there are rules with the Post-it note. But you want to get that Post-it note from zero all the way up to that really high number thirteen thousand. And that is the only thing the full node sees. I don't understand about this getting this number up from zero. Every uh, block, the miners can move it up by one or down by one. So they they put a they say we want to eventually withdraw to this you this set this uh, transaction ID. So we want to you have a big list of people who want out. Yeah, like here's like eleven thousand people who want out or whoever it is, and they all want out and they want to take their coins to different layer one addresses because they want to go back. On the side chain to Bitcoin to regular Bitcoin core. So, what are you saying? There's a maximum thirteen thousand of these that can happen in one go. No, that's uh, the thirteen thousand is the score, the threshold need, needed. So maybe that was confusing. Yeah, I'm totally confused by that. What's the, that for? Let's say, um, let's just say there's eight people who want out. Yeah. Okay. In a given time period, and they want to go to someone wants seven coins to main chain address number one, five coins to main chain address number two. Half a coin to main chain address number three, and thirty-three thousand coins, main chain address number four. So that they select the the side chain output that has this all the coins in the box basically, and they say we want out. We want to take coins out of the box. So they say this is what we want. It has a different little unique transaction ID, like a little code, a little bit of hex, and then they take the post-it note away and they write that little thing, and then they write the number one. And they put that post-it note on the on the box, and then when they find the next block, they take it away and they write a two, and then it goes to three, and then maybe it goes back down to two, or maybe it stays at three. There's rules for what this little post-it note can do, but if it gets up to thirteen thousand one hundred fifty, then you, which is three months of finding blocks, uh, then you, then you're allowed to take the coins out, and that is the only. Those are the BIP three hundred rules that are enforced. By your main chain node, not any of the Zcash stuff. I still don't get that. Sorry, no, no idea what that means. Why okay. is if if I want to take them out, why can't I just take them out? Why does this? Because there are the rules. The um, it's kind of like um, if you're trying to get someone out of uh, prison or something, and they have interlocking gates and they have like buzzers and things, you know, yeah. where they knock, like you see, like on a TV show or something, and they, the lawyer wants to leave. The thing buzzes and the first door opens and they go through. Yeah. Then it closes. And no, I understand the, the analogy. Next thing opens. But yeah. what I'm saying is, um, why am I waiting thirteen up to thirteen thousand blocks to get my coins out? The uh, because those coins can go to any destination because you're not checking the sidechain rules. So this is what you're ignoring the sidechain. So this is the whole miners can steal uh, fake controversy because this is like would take them three months to steal, but. It takes all the withdrawals take a long time for security reasons. So how so how many blocks to thirteen thousand? It's three months. So it takes three months to pick out. Yeah, but it, the, this is another misunderstanding, which is that the regular users wouldn't necessarily use this at all. 
they can just go, they can swap either with like HTLCs or they can just use an exchange or something, you know? They can go on Coinbase and say, okay, I have 12 coins, I have 12 uh, BitZs. Yeah. And uh, I want, I don't want BitZs anymore. I want, you know, regular BTC. Right. So they sell their 12 to Coinbase and Coinbase gives them like 11.99 BTC, you know? And then only one person has to actually walk the coins through the, the process. So it's actually so not it's most not people. It's not, th- it. not 13,000 to go in, right? Just to come out. To go in, it's instant. It's instant, but yeah. come out 13,000. Right. Pre- okay. Exactly. And why, why three months? Why 13? Well, months? you know, it was originally two weeks and then people complained about it. And I kind of almost regret uh, even changing it because over time it's become clear that people just complain about anything, even if yeah, they don't know anything about whatever. But like I said, there's no real downside to making it longer. But there is, is if you want your coins. But this is the thing is anyone can swap the coins with you. Okay, who's going to put them in and be happy to wait? Is it Coinbase, you think? Well, it, it could be anyone. There's a whole distribution of people, right? People are very different. People are, you know, heterogeneous, you know? So some people are very, like an investment banker type person, they'll take the yield. They'll just say, listen, I buy these coins. I, 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 take, I get 12 from the person and I pay them 11.99. And you do that a bunch of times, and then you wait, and now you're getting basically an interest rate. So we're talking about almost like money dealers here. Yeah, it's like a money market. Money market. But anyone, literally anyone can do it, you understand? So that's why it's, it's very unlikely to, like, but say there's I no a, real opportunity for it to go too off the rails. But say I have 100 Bitcoin sitting around, and I'm like, sure. oh, this has got no use for this. I'm going to get 100 of these Zcash coins, and I'm just going to sit around. I'm, I'm not going to spend these for the next 10 years. If someone wants to buy some Zcash off me, I'm going to charge a margin. And and then I'm making my premium there. So you say you wanted to buy a Bitcoin, a onesie off me, and I'm going to be like, yeah, that's 0.99 Bitcoin. I've made 0.1%. And I can just keep doing that. And at some point, I'll be like, you know, I'm going to withdraw some out. Yeah, that would kind of make sense. Right, mm-hmm. but that's what you're actually selling them is the 99 you're, you're giving them Sorry, the Bitcoin. Sorry, 99 Z. Yeah, yeah. yeah I see. Yeah. Okay, I understand. Yeah. You're, okay. co- you're collecting all the bit Zs, and then you're going to walk them back, and then you get one for one. So, yeah. and then, and then you always know the peg holds. It's always going to maintain the same. Yeah, value that's the point. Is Bitcoin. you want it to be very secure. So that's why it's three months. Because the worst thing ever is if the peg doesn't work. And in fact, there have been Ethereum kind of versions of this idea that made it much shorter. I think one was a wormhole or whatever, where they made it like three hours and it didn't work because that's too short. There's no real downside to making it long, you know? The longer it is, kind of like the better. Because they have to declare in advance where they're taking the money. Yeah. Everyone can see it. It's compressed down to this one little uh, code thing that everyone can check against the sidechain. The sidechain is going to be screaming the true withdrawal code, you know, at the top of its lungs in all directions. We have it, like, in the GUI at the bottom in, like, a little ribbon. So everyone's going to know what the real one is. So if anyone tries a false one, people will know the same day, and then they'll have to they'll have to spend three months with the stigma of knowing that it's wrong, but doing it anyway. Right. And then it'll be three months later if they finally succeed. And if no one does anything about it, then they will be able to take the coins and send them to that. Uh, those withdrawal outputs, and that is the whole miners can steal a critique of this project, but that's a, it's kind of a silly critique, I mean, because they have to do this for three months, whereas if the miners were willing to do something like that, they could also empty lightning channels by blocking the yeah yeah blah blah blah. So okay, I'm starting to get it. So there's there can only ever be 21 million. There's zero now. Total. Yeah. 
but but whatever you peg in pegs out of Bitcoin. So there's no inflation here of coins either, which is cool. Of course, yes. it just allows it allows you to create use have additional technology that can do other things. Yes, this is quite a big difference. Like I think the better way it must be easier. Maybe people can imagine a world where. You have even, like today, you would have someone go on stage, someone like a whatever, a safety or something. They go on stage and they say Vitalik is the devil and we all hate Vitalik or whatever. But in a parallel world with sidechains, you would imagine that history would just play out differently and the same person would go on stage and they would say, for the same exact actual idea, they would say, oh, Bitcoin has all the best technology. We have this wonder kid, Vitalik, he's doing turn complete sidechain on Bitcoin or whatever, or, you know, the Jeremy Rubin thing would be completely different also. There would be no controversy out that, about that. You would just, he would just go, and they would say, we're not ready for this right now. He would just do it on a different piece of software. And they, no one would even be talking, this problem wouldn't even exist, yeah. the problem of how to coordinate the really soft or hard forks or any kind of other activation. Because really sometimes exist. they're worried about, like, inflation of total coins across all protocols, right? Like, just keep us all in Bitcoin. Well, I mean, that's why I think it's a no-brainer to... That's why the sidechain idea was so good, I think. Is well, that, I wouldn't say no-brainer. There's yeah. another thing we'll come back to because we can talk about some of the, There are, <laughs> there are obviously downsides. We can, we can yes. talk through that. Just help me understand, how does this sidechain get its security? Because the miners provide the security to, to Bitcoin. How do they provide the security to the... Do, does this sidechain just inherit the security? Well, this is um, the idea. Yeah, it does. Um, but this is the idea of merge mining, which I think is also understood by a very, very, very small number of people. Are you basically sharing the cryptographic proof? Well, this is the thing: is um, the mining like it's debatable if there is any cryptographic proof. Like in mining, like mining is the. This is one of the things I remember Adam Back telling me. Like when he first heard about Bitcoin, he was confused because, uh, well, maybe this is a minute detail, but. Um, the hash rate security is the cost of like the 51% attack, yeah. more or less. And normally in cryptography, they're like these unbreakable black and white situations, you know, where it's like it can never be broken by anyone. You know, if all the corporations and governments of the world combined, they would not be able to crack the, the decrypt the message or whatever, right? Or it's like very easy to do. So it's black and white. But with mining, it's this spectrum, you know, when, it, when mining first started, there's only a few people, so the hash rate security was pretty low, and now it's more, maybe in the future it'll be even more, maybe it'll be something else. But whatever the, the way merge mining is, uh, you kind of fit the, um, the, the sidechain block into a regular main chain block, and it kind of goes along for the ride. Oh, does but that mean is, it uses up block space? Uh, well, it uses a, a tiny amount. This is where the analogy breaks down completely because the sidechain uh, block is referenced in the main chain in a little tiny spot, but, but the it actual block get... itself is somewhere else. Right, okay. So it gets... It gets so I use the... a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of space to say like sidechain number four, like this hash of the block and like maybe a couple other things. Yeah, so other it, things. it, it so does inherit the, the, the security then of the main chain. When the sidechain node is running, it knows... It knows, it must look, like I said before, like if you run our software or the Z side software, yeah. if it can't find the layer one Bitcoin node, it just won't do anything because it's going to use that to figure out how many blocks there are, like what time it is, you know, stuff like that. 
Like okay. if it's Saturday at 11.30, it's going to get all that from mainchain Bitcoin. So it's sort of riding along. But this idea is very misunderstood. One reason is that, one notable fact about it is that uh, it merged mining, which Satoshi invented merge mining in 2010 for Namecoin. It's a very old idea. And we've been doing it ever since. It's another thing people don't realize that, you know, this is a, a very old idea that has been in continuous use. But an intriguing fact about it is you, you, don't modif- you don't modify the main chain to allow this. Uh, in fact, the main chain cannot stop an unlimited number of chains from being merged mined with it. There's nothing Bitcoin can do to even stop this from happening. And uh, instead, you modify the, the chain that's riding along, the parasite chain or the, the friend chain or whatever you want to call it. Okay, before we carry on with the interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by the Pacific Bitcoin Conference hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and the 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. Now, I've known Corey, Yan, and Brady for years, and they are pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin a celebration of the Bitcoin community. I'm going to be emceeing the conference along with Natalie Brunel and Stefan Levera, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, and Preston Pish. Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to have the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. There's going to be a surfing simulator, and it's going to be loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They are bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin in to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation-state adoption and mining to lightning. You do not want to miss out on the inaugural Pacific Bitcoin Conference. It's going to be a badass event. I'm going to be there. I cannot wait to go. I cannot wait to see you all there. Now, Swan is offering a massive 20% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to pacificbitcoin.com and use the code PETER. That's P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETER. Next up today, it is Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger has recently announced the launch of their new Nano S+. And the larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. The Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. And listen, I have been a customer of Ledger since early 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, it is BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money cannot buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against others and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is definitely the best Bitcoin casino out there. And if you want to find out more, please head over to bitcasino.io, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award. That is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And remember, please gamble responsibly. Also today, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without ever selling their Bitcoin. And with recent events in the lending market, 
Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserve attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. But not only are Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N.io. If we ignore that everything but Bitcoin is a shitcoin argument for, for a moment and just say, look, there's different scales of altcoin, right? Which I would say are different levels of credibility. Now, for some people, they're all shit, right? There's, yes. there's other people that they're not. And when you go to the people who are not, they would say, well, Ethereum has clearly proven it's, you know, forget all the issues with it, scale with it. Ethereum has kind of proved the case that there are things that people want to do on Ethereum. Whether you agree with it or not, it does. Monero has proved a case. Zcash, Zcash hasn't really got much adoption, but it's it's a different technology that does something different. Like the, there's there's a handful there you could say that are doing something more interesting than the other 20,000 bullshit ones. It feels like these ones would be the kind of ones that would be elevated into this and the bullshit 20,000 other ones just wouldn't even bother trying. They would just they would be they wouldn't survive, they would die. And I think, yes, precisely. I think one of the things, Danny, run through my logic here, that you can't, you wouldn't be able to price speculate on these coins because their price matches Bitcoin. Yes, exactly. They're, it would be like uh, putting $20 into an ATM and getting $20 in your checking account. It would just be like the same thing. So there's no incentive to put, to put shit coins on here. Yeah, it kind of would filter out all the... Yeah. The shit, basically. Yeah. I mean, somewhat. That's what a lot of people think. I mean, I think that would be like ninety nine percent the case at least. Yeah, it would. It would because you're not, and it's not going to last if no one you, uses it. Exactly. And you don't have any. You have. You have to have a real appeal. That's exactly right as well. Is that if no one uses it, it will. There just like won't be coins over there, and then it will just die. But off. it would increase demand for the coins in the ecosystem, which itself would drive up the price anyway. Yes, That's my course. logic. Yes. That sounds right to me. The thing that I can't get my head around is if you were if you were making a project and you were a bit of a shitcoiner, the incentive is to go and shitcoin because you're going to make way more money. Depends who you are. Yeah, If exactly. you're a shitcoiner, if you're a developer, let's class these people differently. A shitcoiner for me is somebody who wants to profit off the coin. Yeah. And that's their primary motivation. If you're a developer, your primary motivation is to build cool shit. And this gets rid of all that incentive model. It also makes Bitcoin more usable. We're going to have to come back to why people are rejecting this. But for me, to get rid of that price incentive on shitcoins makes it makes it a lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more developer-focused. And I think we have to keep in mind how many people who are today the sort of good altcoiners were like ardent Bitcoiners like in the past. Like, I mean, Vitalik was like the Bitcoin Magazine co-founder and writer. He was like the original uh, Peter McCormack in a way because he was a Bitcoin Magazine We're guy. very similar. And, um, <laughs> and he, uh, he, um, he was doing, he was like a full Bitcoiner for a yep. while. And then, you know, he tried his thing on, this is, a lot of this story is disputed, but certain things that are not really 
disputed at all, which is that he was he was a Bitcoiner. He did Bitcoin Magazine. He proposed this idea in Bitcoin. Then he was going to do it on some weird uh, altcoin, and then he made his own project. And now that and that project was, I think people are biased against Ethereum because uh, it was a, really a terrible project in 2015 when it was being put together, and it was terrible. And I think it really has evolved. Slowly, it's like Into that one. Not that, so terrible. It was kind of like one percent better every year, like every day. That type of thing. Have you seen that meme? Yeah. And um, so then, when you get to that uh, years later, it kind of evolves. It's like a Darwinian evolution. Okay, so in your most objective way possible, what are the most valid criticisms of this? Which you might not want to do, and if you don't want to do, I'll yes. go see somebody else. But I think. Um, well, I think it's uh, you know I'm like in favor of. Um, I think it's perfectly fair game for you to get them the criticisms from the critics, right, and not from yeah. me. Uh, but where are you getting pushed back? Person, well, people give me the miners can steal critique, but then I say that the, I, I think those very few of those people really understand the whole the, the whole three to six month thing, like what is actually required. Uh, but also, miners can already steal from the Lightning Network, for example, by blocking the justice transaction, so they can already do that. So, but no one complains about that in the Lightning Network. Uh, and so when I tell people that, they usually kind of like just shrug and go away. The the more important thing with that is though, that is something that the user has opted into. Like the user chooses to run. I can remember the reckless meme with yeah, lightning. Yeah. yeah, the user chooses to do this. And um, in back in certainly back in 2015 when I came up with the idea, a lot of the large blocker group, there's another group like Roger Vera was you know an ardent Bitcoiner, and then there's Bitcoin Cash. So. Uh, Another like example, um, but you know, lo- many of the large blocker people have said consistently their entire lives that they are fully okay with what they call the SPV level of validation. This is maybe a, an esoteric topic that a lot of people don't don't know about. This is a section in Satoshi's white paper about you only have the headers and you you mostly it's, it's sometimes called trust the miners. That's like you know how it is when something's shrunk to a little tagline. You lose all, all the important nuance, but it's basically. But all that nuance were, is in the main block anyway. They want. Sorry, what did you mean? So SPV means you're only carrying the headers of the, the block. headers. The headers are only 80 bytes each. It's a four megabytes a year, so it's very easy for to get those. They prove all the work, but they don't prove the validity of the block. That is why later on, when the sidechain idea was invented, the the name SPV proof came from that. How is idea. the block? The validity of the block proven. You need to, there's no other way than to download every message and check all, that every message follows all the rules. Sometimes people say that you can cheat with like the ZK snark or something, but it's hard because you don't really know whether or not the ZK snark has malfunctioned unless you also check by downloading every message and, and, and then redo the ZK snark. And then you also, someone needs to be the server as well. So when you want to know, what transa- what transaction is this? What was what has this transaction ID? What was the fifth transaction in block seven hundred thousand? Someone has to be able to like look that up and get it from somewhere. So where and do they? Well, the full nodes have it all. So that is like so. This is why I say the zk snark thing is is not really a a an end around. So there's no other way than you have someone has to have all the data and you have to check it all for all the rules, which is hence the the name the full node. Hold on, just another thing. If you these side chains, they or drive chains, they have to have the same block time as Bitcoin. They do, yeah. There is a you can do like weird hacky things 
But uh, I think those well, like build five blocks and merge them together into one. Yes, uh, it's a, you have like a secondary. It's I don't even know. It's so bizarre that I don't even. But you can have like yeah, secondary proof of work where you say we're trying to get other faster blocks to happen on the side chain, and then when it checks in with Bitcoin, it like loads them all in as like a blob. But they could all have their own Lightning networks. Yes, but Liquid doesn't have the same block time, right? That's true because it does not use merge mining. It's its own oh, okay. completely its own thing. I see. Right. Because Liquid is not really, is, there's no process behind Liquid. It's just a multi-sig output. And then it's kind of like a bank account or using Coinbase or something. Maybe that's going a little too far, being a little too mean. When Liquid um, was first proposed, the idea was it was only for funds on exchanges. And the idea was all of the, you can go, you should ask Matt Corral all about this because he's so, he's even tweeted about uh, the origin of Liquid, and he literally said you know, the about Blockstream's attempt to expand the scope on this exact topic. He has said basically, yeah, you know, this is a bad idea. Don't don't trust anyone who says this. Treat them like they're trying to steal your money. He literally said that in public, which is the only reason why I kind of bring it up now. But the original idea was you'd have all these exchanges, and the exchanges would be the fifteen multisig people. And so the logic was, if you're going to have Bitcoin at an exchange at all, you might as well just have it on the liquid sidechain because you're just going from trusting one exchange completely to trusting to trusting like 11 or 15. Yeah. And then it was like the coins can move seamlessly among all the exchanges. That makes sense. So that was the original idea. And it I remember Adam back talking about it being like a, for trading. Yeah. Specifically. Then it kind of like expanded into like, I don't know what it is. But, but, but so you, say your uh, Z sidechain... Would that need its own equivalent Lightning Network? Yes. Huh. Interesting. Of course, you know if you the if you copy the architecture, like you have a sidechain that's just a code fork of Bitcoin, then you can just copy and paste. Okay, so we're gonna have to talk to other people about this. So you say one of the criticisms is that miners can steal, but you've got this three month. Yeah, period. I don't think it's very. What it's possible, but it's not. Uh, you know, I don't think that that's a risk. That the you know, I asked a. Uh, Peter Weil about this once in the Netherlands. I said, you know, do you think people should be allowed to spend their BTC on goods and services? And of course, he says yes. I said, do you think people should be allowed to sell the Bitcoin for fiat? Of course, I say yes. You know, and should they should people be allowed to sell their BTC for an altcoin like you know Ethereum or whatever? Of course, I mean you have to say yes, right? So then this is just spending, taking a risk. Spending the Bitcoin to a certain kind of script on layer one, it's kind of like you know, it's like the, the the we have to respect the user's sovereignty. And like I was trying to say, the Roger Ver people, the large block people, they were a hundred percent okay with SPV for all of their transactions. But, the of course, the, but the other thing though is that transactions are very different, right? It's like the sum that where you don't trust the person, maybe, and you need it to be. Or you, you, for some reason, you need the reliability to be high. And then there's all these other things where you're buying something from Amazon or you know the person and you kind of, the transactions don't all need the same level of like super, super, super uh, ironclad like protection, right? Some of them you have, you know, you, you walk around with money in your pocket then maybe you'll get mugged and you'll lose, but you don't have your whole life savings in there. So the, there's a great... The transactions are all different as well. Once, once BIP three hundred is merged in, say it's the the, the soft fork is. Yeah, one day. Just say it is. 
Once that's done, all that is is a thing to create a bridge between that and the sidechain. It doesn't have to do anything else. Right, that's what it's doing, yeah. Yeah. Um, because yeah. one of the things I'm th thinking is like from my side is that I trust implicitly the Bitcoin developers in terms of the quality of the code, the way they review, make sure nothing fucks up so I don't lose my Bitcoin, right? Moving into a side chain, I've got a different trust model. That's right, yes. Yeah, because I have to trust the ones working on that side chain, right? And I am, I'm wanting to use that side chain. I think it's cool. I like the people on it. But I've got this inherent belief that it maybe shares some properties in terms of the quality of the developers, etc. What's to stop those developers at some point doing an update to their code and then stealing all my coins and screwing me over? Well, uh, there is, there happens to be. It, it it's not really. I think it's fundamental to the nature of the blockchain or whatever. But the one of the things you when you activate on the slot, we we ask people. This has to be optional because there's no way of enforcing it. But we ask people to put like the name of the side chain, a little description, and then some of these hashes that determine the what the software is, like version one of the software, basically. Mm -hmm. And it happens to be the case that if uh, those those that software is what's going to calculate the real withdrawal, the real thing that has to get to thirteen thousand one hundred and fifty, and so um, the only way to know what the real withdrawal is is to run the software. If they do an update that happens to be a hard fork of their sidechain, uh, then almost certainly the the withdrawals coming back won't necessarily be the same, and then. That would probably just throw the network into chaos. But I think the real answer is nothing because you want... I mean, I just gave you a great answer why it would be impossible for them to to uh, take the coins in that way. But really, it's like you want... It's the same situation as when you buy Bitcoin in the first place. It's like you are the user and you you they have to entice you over there. You know, you say, I've got my layer one coins. And they have to say, come over here to, you know... BitZ land. Well, BitZ and, land have a similar kind of like soft fork version in. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. What? Where are the holes for you? Is there anything you've spotted? I don't think so. That you've not brought up. Have you searched criticisms of? I mean, yeah. There's another one. I mean, it's changing the protocol. I guess is a big one. Like the soft fork. Like, is there any risk to that? Well, I think we. I think it's very. We can certainly expect that once people create the sidechain, they're going to want to keep upgrading it. Because this is just the software, the world. Like it's like it just always updates, right? Like people can't stop themselves, even even when they shouldn't do it, you know. <laughs> so it'll be updating, and the, the the soft fork I see as an institution that protects the user, though, from the developer, because yeah. it says basically you can change these things, but you can't change too much, or the software will basically the different versions of the software will no longer cooperate. What else have you found? Uh, I mean, the other thing that I've I, I think of is is not really a technical question. It's like, it's it's why developers will build on it, not like how how would you make money building on this? Yeah, I think that is a good question. Um, but again, I I would like to go back to like the idea that like a lot of these people behind the good altcoins, um, they really were like driven. I, I it's this is this is an opinion, but they really seem to be driven a lot by like their own creativity, you know, they wanted to make something new and they were inspired by something. And 
they usually did in a lot of cases they did a lot of the work like before even becoming an altcoiner and i'm not saying that that certainly with you if you alt if, if you choose to make a new thing you can maybe give some of the coins to yourself and you can do these different um funding models but the uh, thing is, is Bitcoin has to attract developers. We have the exact same problem yeah, with Bitcoin, exact same right? Problem with Bitcoin. Yeah. You have mm-hmm. to be funded. Where you have to either get some kind of, you have like a rich sponsor or something, and people do do it. it, it it's not, I think, um, you know, like like Roger Veer used to do this type of thing, like, uh, and other people would do something today. Yeah, where people would, uh, and, and then, in fact, I think the real problem is not the money in our industry at all, right? It's just like sorting all the good ideas. So this is actually, we kind of improve it on that way because they'd say people won't go for an idea like this to work on as a developer unless they think users will actually use it. And so they have to keep in mind the user when they're creating the software, which I think would be much healthier than... Could it fragment Bitcoin development? Well, I think, what I really think Bitcoin development should do is we should we should get better at being conservative on layer one. And we should say, I, my ideal thing would be to put Bit300 in and then just ossify layer one and move it all. And then I was kind of even, if I could have my own, you know, way, then the vision would probably be to have like some kind of like ossified layer one and then even like two competing versions of Bitcoin Core, like a kind of liberal conservative version or something where one would just start merging things soon after they're invented and then maybe the other one would catch up later. But there's at least some some recourse or some feedback. You want to have some kind of feedback loop where if development is too slow, then people would move the coins to the more liberal world. And if it's if it's too fast and it's making mistakes and people are annoyed by that, then they they move back, and so I don't think I don't think we'll ever agree on what you might call meta consensus, like what the blockchain should contain. I think people pr- will probably continue to disagree about that forever, and I think the sidechain is kind of a sort of an escape valve for that. I mean, I think most of the critiques are around the fact that it actually requires a soft fork, and if you don't want it, then why would you want to signal that you did want a soft fork if you don't want to use drive chain? Yes, this is another but, but, unfortunate but is thing it, is that in 2015, this was not such a big deal. <laughs> there were, in 2015 alone, I don't know if my memory is going to serve, but I think we did three soft forks in one quarter, and we did maybe five in the whole year. That was the year of scaling. There's more risks now, more, so, more stake. So then I like, uh, so at the time, I was just kind of like, whatever. And then now, this modern, as you know perfectly well, the modern version is like, t- to suggest any change to Bitcoin at all is like, you know, like moving a button that triggers an atomic bomb or something. But Paul, we've got a lot more at stake now in yeah. 2015. We're, we're hundreds of billions more in value. Yeah, I see why people are are more conservative now. I think, though, that it's not... I don't necessarily think it's very wise, though, if you really think about it. I mean, the risk of there's a risk of going without it as well, which yeah. is, I think, no, no. that Ethereum gains on Bitcoin like very slowly, but in a cumulative sense. And I think, why, why take the risk of anything? Like, if an NFT does re- an NFT on Bitcoin does really well, that doesn't. Who cares about that? Well, the thing I but really- if uh, an altcoin does really well, then people start to get worried. And I think this is a lot of why. People spend so much time on Twitter and spend a lot of time listening to podcasts is because they're vigilantly waiting to see, you know, there's no limit to how good of an idea people can have tomorrow, right? They're waiting to see, will there be some crazy idea that like the entire government of Russia launches its own (laughs) cryptocurrency or whatever, you know, and they'll be like waiting for that. 
Well, I like the idea that it doesn't, there's not new coins created. I like the idea. The one thing I really like about it, it takes away the incentive, the monetary incentive to shitcoin. It makes it purely about development. I like that. Everything else I can't judge until I speak to some other people who just, yeah, that I know. What's the pushback you've had? Like, you must have discussed this with senior Bitcoin people. Does it actually remove the monetary incentive to shitcoin? Because the money's still there. Well, I think those people, like what a shit coiner will say is they'll say, buy my new coin. And then the user will say, why? You know, and then they'll say it has feature X. But in the, with this, in the sidechain world, Bitcoin could also have uh, feature X. And, um, and then sometimes what the shit coiners say is, well, I would have loved to put feature X on Bitcoin, but, but, I, but I couldn't because of such and such. They use the development, the Bitcoin development process is like a scapegoat. And so that... That none of that that definitely could not happen in the sidechain world. Uh, I think, you know, some people do say like the reason that people shitcoin is because uh, shitcoining is just an infinite source of money, and if that's true, then nothing is going to stop them from doing that, right? Especially not my tiny little bip. Well, no, I but think it's not too. really true, though, right? No, you know, I think because they they need the pretexts in order to do the shitcoining. I think. I think some people shitcoin to pre-mine. Yeah. Brings them to market. Those people will just shift to like doing like NFTs or oh, yeah. they'll go back to pumping stocks or something. But And then I think there's some people who shitcoin because they believe in what they're building and it's different. They're both, both can exist. But what you can't do is you're not, when you create your side chain here, Danny, you're not creating a whole bunch of new coins. It starts with zero coins and it only gains coins where people bring Bitcoin into it. No, I, t- I totally get it. I just think that like the market will will like if you if you were going to start a project by most shitcoins pre-mined right that's to fund the development for however yeah. long you've got to go out to people who are willing to just give you money to try and build a project like that's a lot harder to do well, it's just like bitcoin so it, it will follow the same funding model of bitcoin there might be chain code labs might go do you know what let's so, build so a you'll side always chain. be behind and then you're losing on the network effect well the thing is it's very easy to copy the altcoin though so if they do some kind of weird thing to fund development or fund any other kind of software like we when we did the um the zcash we 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 created the sidechain so that as they update zcash we can just pull the updates over so you're really being very very much like a parasite on the the altcoin. Uh, it's kind of sad. I mean, I don't know. Like it's it's kind of like a um, live by the sword, die by the sword kind of a thing. Where it's like they for- see. This is the thing: is Monero has much more traction than Zcash, but Zcash is the code is more similar to Bitcoin, so that we kind of did that. But also, I think Zcash is sort of stigmatized by the, like they have that weird tax in there. And they have well, like, I, I think so Zcash. I think there's other reasons why Zcash yeah. would be better than Monero. If it weren't for weird uh, community reasons, I, is my suspicion. My understanding of the criticisms of Zcash is one: it kind of is a company, right? It did yeah, have I the think ta- all this is true. Did have yeah. the tax, and I think the other one is that it had shielded and unshielded transactions, right? And there's like yeah. a Sudoku puzzle think, to actually um, crack it. I actually, um, uh, I think the um, yeah, there's a, a the Monero people love the whole uh, private by default meme, so they run with that, but. Um, I think that's a little overblown because think about it. You can always opt into less privacy, so everything is always. No, I think it's more though, yeah. isn't it? Like a Sudoku puzzle to try and crack. Well, what do you mean? Zcash. So, like, I remember years because it's been years since I listened to this. I'm sure Laura Shin did a show about it once, whereby you can crack the private transactions with like a Sudoku puzzle. If you've got a little bit of information, 
you can then start figuring out what went to who. Oh, I think, well, yeah, that's, I, I, relatedly, I think a lot of people misuse Zcash. So I actually, in the sidechain, I built a GUI thing that I call Meltcast, which is, again, this is a purely cosmetic thing in the GUI, but that has to stop people from misusing. A lot of people, what they do is they take like, it's like 13.123 Bitcoin, and they put it into Zcash. They swap it for Zcash on like, whatever, an exchange. Then they put it into the Z address, and then they pull, 10 minutes later, they pull, 13.004 coins out, and then they think that they mixed the coins or something. I think a lot of people don't misuse the privacy, right. so I made it. I made it like two buttons to click. So to what, do it the right way. What's the pushback you'll get him? Like, why is it? Why you know you I have to? Lo- I think. Well, you know, I mean, I. You should get it from them. My honest uh, opinion, though, is that a lot of it is irrational or like psychological or something, where people think. Well, if it would give if it would give Roger Veer and Vitalik what they want, then there must be something wrong with it. You know, I think a lot of people can't uh, I don't do that. that. I think another thing is that, uh, like I said before, people feel really responsible for they want the code to be pristine and they they trust the Bitcoin core developers. That. And this is shifting to a world where it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, anything can go. Like you send it to a weird side chain, and inevitably there will be bad. Someone will do a sidechain that has a mistake or something bad will happen over there. And then people think, well, we're going to be, our reputations are all going to be on the hook for that. So this, I'm giving like a blank check or a blank slate to these people. And they think, well, we don't want something like to happen. Of course, that happened anyway with like, you know, Celsius and things where it had I know. basically nothing to do with Bitcoin at all. But that's, We're that, still tarred by it, exactly. Mm, right. So I think that's another different. thing. That's I wouldn't use the Celsius as, as an analogy. I think that's different. Uh, well, I'm just saying like things that can affect the brand, the Bitcoin brand. Yeah, know. but again, I, I think that's different. But I do buy that as a reason not. That, like, that was one of the things I brought up. I, what about, do you think there's any kind of protectionism around liquid with this? Well, I, I do wonder about, I think people maybe are afraid to... Go against. Uh, they see Blockstream as representing like a kind of center of gravity for the technical consensus, and they just think, "Well, do I want to poke the dragon or something with that?" Uh, they probably think maybe not. I don't know. It could be related to that. Um, I don't know. I, you know, a lot. I, I ask a lot of people, and they say they'll say something weird, like they say, "Well, I don't really have any problem with it," but I think other people have a problem with it. They do like a round robin, and they don't. You can't quite nail it down. Have you got any high-profile uh, supporters? Well, I think I don't want to like get it, get them into like trouble and name name them or something. But I think I do have like most of the like elite people at the top. I think Adam Beck has always like been a supportive tweeter, <laughs> and even like other people. I think you know roast beef and lightning and stuff. So I have like a lot of people at the top and then people b- beneath them in the in the pyramid are <laughs> big critics. Uh, I don't know if, uh, but I don't, why should it be about who supports it? I don't know. I guess it's because a lot of people just can't understand the Well, then no, because right themselves. Of, it's, that, it's, it's yeah. getting that social consensus around. Yeah. I, well, I agree with that. Like, I agree that it's the wrong thing to do. Like, the idea has been around for a while and I agree that it's the wrong thing to do is to force it on someone yeah. if they don't consent to it and they can't really consent to it unless they understand it right it has to be informed consent but this we do that anyway like with segwit uh, you you were talking before about like how people understand people have to be talked into the soft fork and it's a big process but many people supported segwit 
for a while, and it was clear they didn't understand it at all. Even years later, they didn't realize that it was a block size increase. They didn't realize that it changed it so that a transaction that had used more bytes could be charged less in fees than a non-segwit transaction that used fewer bytes. So people clearly didn't understand basics about it at all, and they just kind of they went with the for the you know for the Twitter likes. What about um, Matt Carello and Andrew Polstra? Did, what do they? Well, think? I think Andrew Polstra is not really a supporter per se, uh, uh, but I don't know. You should ask him recently. I mean, he was like doing the miners can steal thing or something. So right. I think a lot of this was like Peter Todd came out with the miners can steal as like a meme after Blockstream published the SPV proof, and then they did another thing deep in the technical community. There was this belief about merged mining that I think is backwards of the truth. But um, so I think that that's part of why they abandoned their Appendix B and their sidechain aspirations because they were like, the merge mining uh, gives an incentive for miners to run full nodes of all the sidechains. And of course, all the altcoins that are already merged mined today, of which there are dozens. And so this is supposedly a bad thing because you could, there could be an unlimited list of sidechains that would be profitable to run, and then they'd basically be forced into running them. But I don't think that this, this argument is sort of backwards because there's an unlimited list of everything that miners have to do in order to stay competitive. Whatever, if someone is doing the natural gas flaring and you're in a similar situation but you're not doing it, then that eventually becomes mandatory for you. So really everything is mandatory. Well, and they what happens have lists they of costs and revenue. It's that's the point is it's really no different than any other business decision they would make. They'd look at the revenues and the costs and the risks and they would just decide whether they want to run that. Whether so they want to do it. There's yeah. no difference between running the the, preju- the the prejudice is because this particular mining activity takes the form of blockchain software. That's why people thought they were responsible for it. So this this idea of responsibility I think is big where people think they're going to be responsible for everything that happens, but they don't. I think that it's a mistake. They have to take out a piece of paper and make columns, and they'll realize they're not. They, they're, they're not responsible for. Bitcoin developers are not responsible for what miners do. You know, they miners are going to invent all kinds of wacky techniques, and and they already for years they already were doing their own weird software stuff. There was like they all shared a mempool at one point. They all like. They were doing the. Um, they were doing what's called uh, SPV mining. It's going to be really confusing to keep reusing this abbreviation, but they were doing a different type of mining where they weren't validating. That led to this event in July 2015, I think. They were doing this thing called spy mining. So they do all this stuff that is, uh, you know, they're specialists in their own field that is basically unrelated to this. The only important thing is you want to keep the layer one node very cheap to run. I think ideally you want to ossify it as well because plenty of people, such as Luke Jr., they think, Luke Dash Jr., they think like you have to always run the latest version. And then I say, well, how do you know what the latest version is if you're not involved in the technical community? And and then Luke will say something like, I hope I'm not uh, misrepresenting his view. I mean, I think I'm representing it accurately. But he says basically something like, in order to, to really run the Bitcoin node, you have to be involved in the technical community. And then it's kind of like, well, you know, <laughs> that's like, uh, so, right. So, but then you understand that that makes running a full node really expensive, right? Because but, now you're... But Luke thinks you should, 70% of the people, Bitcoiners should be running a node as well. Yes, right. And I even ask him, like, what about people who 
they would never become Bitcoiners, but if they were ramped up and they start with custodial and then they go to SPV, and then like three years later, they're on a full node. But without the ramp, they would never make it. And then there's just I don't, nothing to say to that. So I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, is there anything we've not covered in this? Anything just I've not just one before? quick thing. Like, I, I understand sort of the moral thing of wanting to build everything on Bitcoin. Um, but if the idea is to go out into like the altcoin market to see what you think is cool and then take that code and build on a sidechain on Bitcoin, does it just become like a morality test to shitcoin? Because like if you go out, you like prediction markets, right? So if you go out and Maybe. you take Augur and you copy that code and you put on a sidechain, like why not just use Augur? Well, that's an ironic example because you know I created Truthcoin as a sidechain of Bitcoin before there were sidechains, and Augur is a fork of of that of the Truthcoin project. But the yeah. the reason why is because everyone would rather use it's the Metcalf's law, it's the network effect of um, of money, is that you people are not going to want to use all these different forms of money. You know what I mean? Like, uh, if you go to... Um, but it's does, like, does Orga not have network effect in the price prediction market? The, the, there's a difference between what you would use as money in these markets. Like, all the, market, all the side chains would use Bitcoin as money. They use pay the transaction fee in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. There could be other assets and other things trading on there, like whatever, NFTs or other markets, you know, other derivatives and things. So, those would be their own thing, and they have their own price, of course. Uh, but the real reason is because there's no, like, the sidechain equalizes all the tech. So now it, the monetary network effects are really all that would remain. So if you're the smallest one, this is a very old anti-altcoin argument, like, you're the smallest altcoin, you're in a kind of like, uh, you know, like a Mexican standoff where it's kind of like, um, is this network going to be around? And so then maybe people move from that to the, second smallest, and the smallest one dies, and now you're the new smallest, and then everyone's thinking two steps ahead, so there's a rush to get into the biggest, mm -hmm. the biggest coin. But the, the sidechain idea is to, be, to equalize the technology so that that's not a basis for competing at all. So you just say, well, uh, I, have, I've already, I already own all this Bitcoin, and I can now use, use it in any of these projects if I want to use it. But then as an investor in a coin, you think, well, I've invested in whatever whatever it is, like Zcash, the coin. But now the you know, Zcash the coin now is not is it's since anyone can do what Zcash is doing, then you have to wonder about oh, why am I holding the coin because uh, I must be holding it for the monetary network effects. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. Sweet. And anything we didn't cover, we didn't ask you about. Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. So, tell me your background. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really want to know? I just uh, I used to work in academia. I was a statistician. Okay, um, makes sense. Um, I was a statistician at the Yale Department of Economics for two and a half years, and then I worked. Um, I did some other things before that that are, are kind of boring, but uh, mostly was right out of school into that into being a statistician, and then. I came up with the Truthcoin uh, prediction markets idea that later became several projects, including Augur, but it's still waiting at Bitcoin Hivemind for sidechains to come to Bitcoin to be its own great project. You could do your own, you could do a whole other episode about that. I think the prediction market is way misunderstood and misused. And um, as soon as people put the pieces together the right way, it will be better than the printing press 
was for the Middle Ages. So uh, huge potential there. That's going to be a great side chain. We'll, we'll do that by yours, yours truly one day maybe. And um, so that was so I wrote that, and then Roger Veer hired me away to quit that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That was how I got into Bitcoin via the Roger Veer. Uh, experience or whatever and then yeah. that was uh, for only a little while, only a little while. <laughs> well listen <laughs> like we a year and a half and then uh, did some more things we can cover that though we're, yeah. we're, i'm interested in prediction markets let's get you back on this time we're in new york we'll, we'll yeah, talk okay, about cool. that also you looked a lot like my brother which is really weird i don't know if you know oh, that no. don't you? oh my god <laughs> yeah you look a lot like my brother um okay if people want to find out more about drive chains where can they do that yeah drivechain.info that's it easy as pie. there all right man well look appreciate you coming in sorry we started late uh, I understand a lot more about it now, and I think I know where I like it. I like it for the thing that you're unsure about, but I, Debbie, but I do like it. I like that fact that it just gives me one currency to go around and do all these other things. I like that a lot. So that's cool. All right, man. Take right, care. Great, Thanks. All right there, thank you for listening to What Bitcoin Did. I hope you got something out of that. I hope you learned a little bit more about drive chains. I'm a little bit more clued up. I don't know if they'll come. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to talk to some other people about it. But if you do want to stay in touch with me, if you want to reach out to me, you can. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. It is Friday. We've got a big game tomorrow. Real Bedford is playing away at Buckingham Athletic. We want to get another three points on the board. The game will be streamed live. If you go and check out our Twitter, you will find out more about that. Apart from that, have a great weekend. It's sunny here in Bedford. I'm looking forward to getting a beer with my boy Danny. Okay, I will see you all soon. Take care.